You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on the Pet Life Radio Network. We're the program where you meet the doers, the leaders, the people who are making a difference for animals in your neighborhoods, the United States, and the world. You'll learn how these amazing people became involved in doing what they do, why they spend time, money, and long hours each day fighting to save the lives of and or improving the living conditions of companion or domestic or wild animals and more. I'm Keith Sanderson, creator and host of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. You know something? Many of us don't realize what a hazard man-made structures can be to birds, particularly migrating birds. Untold thousands of them never finish their migrations. Instead, they collide with man-made objects and plummet to the streets and sidewalks far below, where many lay unconscious to meet their ends by hypothermia or being crushed by automobiles or becoming victims of urban predators. Max and I invite you to stay with us today and meet our guest, Annette Prince, who is an awesome animal advocate that is doing something about this deluge of feathered victims that can sometimes rain down upon urban streets. Annette is an officer of Chicago Audubon Society Board and the director of the Chicago Bird Collision Monitors. We'll meet Annette in a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. Outstanding odor control, quick clumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's Best Cat Litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Annette Prince, Director of Chicago Bird Collision Monitors. Welcome, Annette. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to having you on the program. I've read about some of the work your group is doing, and it's, I think, unusual to many people, but incredibly valuable. Let's start off with the basics. What is Chicago Bird Collision Monitors, Annette? Well, we're an all-volunteer conservation project that's dedicated to the protection of migratory birds through our rescue education and advocacy efforts. We're out there helping birds that are impacted by 
urban man-made hazards, specifically those of lighting, glass, and building design. Wow. So essentially, in a city like Chicago, with skyscrapers, there's a lot of targets for birds to hit. How many birds do you estimate a year are killed by colliding with Chicago skyscrapers and other objects? Well, we monitor one square mile of the downtown area, and we estimate that morning efforts recover every year about 8,000 dead and injured birds, and that's just in the one square mile. And We know we are not finding all the birds that have uh, hit windows or building structures. Uh, many of them are falling on rooftops and awnings and inaccessible areas. Many of them are being uh, grabbed by predators or otherwise swept up and lost. So if you take the fact that you know we estimate 8,000 are known and take the ones that are not found and then multiply that by the buildings that uh, go the length of the lakefront in the Chicago area. It's it's in the tens of thousands of birds that are that are either uh, killed or injured by collisions uh, with windows in a year in Chicago. Then that's really sad because migrating birds have enough to deal with, <laughs> you know, the, with just the natural elements. And then all of a sudden, in a city like Chicago, where so many birds do migrate through, all of a sudden there's a, there's a blockade of buildings there. But is this a problem unique to Chicago? No, any urban area, certainly any man-made structure, even residential homes, uh, pose a hazard to birds. There just tends to be a concentration when you're talking about a, a city and, as you said, a city that's in the middle of a migratory pathway that birds have been following for hundreds of thousands of years and uh, just, you know, within a blink of an eye, there's been this hazard that's sort of in, in their path. Uh, what was formerly a safe passage for them to move through this area now, you know, creates something that's both confusing and, and deadly to them. You know, it's sort of ironic. I mean, so many times, well, like even going back when they were putting through the uh, pipeline from uh, the Alaska pipeline, there was so much worry over the impact on, on wildlife there. But yet something that we're so used to in common, skyscrapers in our own backyards, if we live in the city, doing uh, just incredible damage to uh, species of birds. Because I imagine some of these are not plentiful birds uh, species that are being lost each year, uh, the individuals. Is that exactly. correct? Yeah, a lot of them are already in decline for other reasons. Habitat loss in their nesting areas or the places where they winter are being depleted, and so losing those places are causing their numbers to drop. Other factors uh, are impacting them, and they can ill afford additional losses through the, the window collisions that they suffer when they pass through these areas. If an estimated, I think you said 16,000 birds are uh, lost in Chicago, is there any estimate on total loss from collisions with uh, man-made structures of birds in the United States? Yeah, for Chicago, I said that we recover about 8,000 a year in, uh, in general from collisions here. But they take estimates if you add in what could happen in an urban area and just the fact that one individual residential home could have a few birds that hit a window and die per year, you get up to uh, an estimate that's over a billion birds a year that die from window strikes uh, just by adding in. All it would take would be one strike at, at each person's house, and all of a sudden you're talking huge numbers. And it does happen, and it, it seems kind of minor when it was just one bird at your house, but the cumulative effect of something like that happening in every urban area along every flyway where birds are moving and where birds are living, it adds up to a large number very quickly. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because we have a large picture window in our in our living room. It's 
this spring, in the last few days, there's been a, a pair of doves out on a tree limb, you know, and uh, sitting there each morning going through the courtship. And the other morning, one of them flew off and right into the window. And I went out, I couldn't find it. But uh, so I was a little sad about that. And so now I, we keep the uh, shade down, which part way, which seems, you know, help. But I noticed they were back this morning, so apparently uh, it must have stunned it, and it was able to recuperate. And uh, as you said, if you know, it didn't seem like many in terms of the bird population, but if that was happening, and very easily could to each one of my neighbors, and then all the neighborhoods and everything else, that really is an astonishing number of uh, birds that are being injured or killed. Yes, and it happens with birds that live residentially, sometimes less because the birds that are living near uh, man-made structures have developed a certain amount of familiarity with the idea of, of where a window is and where the outside is. But any bird can be fooled by either a reflection in glass, which makes them think they see either another bird or a tree or the sky being reflected in the shiny surface, or they see an opening that looks like it's clear and they could come in or pass through an area to get to either a plant that they see inside of a room or a lighted area they see inside of a building. So it, it, it doesn't matter what kind of bird it is that's fooled. But we certainly think that the migratory birds are impacted by the fact that they're not spending much time around human structures at all. They, they winter down in tropical areas and rainforests where they're not around lights and glass and buildings, and they're just passing through to get up to the northern forest where, once again, they don't have that experience with man-made structures. What types of birds have a high frequency of colliding with man-made or in Chicago's case with the skyscrapers? Very much more of the nighttime migrants because uh, the majority of birds are migrating in the cover of night, which I think a lot of people aren't even aware of that. We think of seeing geese flying in big formations in migration and cranes and Hawks are daytime birds that are larger, and they're not flying under the cover of night. They're out in the open in the day, and there's lots of reasons why daytime is good for a big bird. For a small bird, night is safer because it's protected, and the flying conditions are better. There's less turbulence. It's cooler. Uh, if you can imagine doing a marathon of just flying or just, in our case, running for six hours, if I told you to start running for six hours without stopping, uh, you're going to overheat and you're not going to want to do it in the in the bright uh, middle of the day. So nighttime is good for these birds. But unfortunately at night, urban areas are very brightly lit, so much more so even in the last 40 years, we've gone from having very dark skies around our homes and cities to things that are lit almost like daylight. And birds can get confused and pulled in toward an urban area because that lighting at night, while they're trying to fly safely to their, their end destination in the morning, can pull them in. Certainly when they're done flying at the early morning hours, they're coming down and often getting pulled toward cities. And uh, they're coming down toward an urban area where they're heading toward glass and lights that they are not adapted to avoid. And what are some of the species that uh, you and your volunteers frequently find in Chicago? We have a few that are frequent here, and as far as species go, different parts of the United States experience different migratory patterns, so the type of birds that are encountered more often can vary in different cities. Uh, what we've found here in Chicago, uh, as far as birds that are, uh, and, and even our list varies from year to year, it's not always the same birds, but we have a large number of uh, white-throated sparrows, 
oven birds, which are a kind of warbler, uh, brown creepers, which are a very small bird. We get Nashville warblers. We get uh, a couple kinds of woodpeckers. Uh, we get the yellow-bellied sapsucker, which is a highly migratory woodpecker that has to move. Some woodpeckers stay year-round, but a bird like a yellow-bellied sapsucker is dependent on, as his name implies, uh, tapping on trees to get sap out of it to attract insects and to eat the sap so they can't live where there's a uh, a solid freeze, they wouldn't be able to find food, as well as northern flickers, which are a woodpecker that survives or primarily likes to eat ants. And if there's snow cover and an inability to forage on the ground, these birds have to move to a more southerly area. We get thrushes, though. We get uh, hermit thrushes. We get uh, American woodcocks, which are uh, a completely different type of bird, but that comes through an area as urban as this in, in very large numbers, which can be very surprising when you when you look out on a city street and you see a bird that's normally never seen in the wild because it's hiding under the leaves and, and the brush of a, of a forested area. And here's a large, small chicken-like bird with a long beak sitting in the middle of a sidewalk in Chicago. Wow. Wow. That truly is amazing. And we need to take a break for a word from our sponsors, Annette. But when we return, Annette's going to share with us why we should care about why the birds and a little bit more about their survival and what they do for them in the process of rehabilitating them. But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. The Pet Lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friend. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at Pet Lady World. Welcome to Bird's Eye View on Pet Life Radio. I am Dr. Lori Hess, here with Dr. Michelle Ravish, and we are both bird and exotic animal veterinarians. We work at the Veterinary Center for Birds and Exotics, an all-bird and exotic pet hospital in Bedford Hills, New York. And this is a show all about birds. It's a bird's eye view, and we hope you'll tune in soon. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Our guest today is Annette Prince of Chicago Bird Collision Monitors. You know, you mentioned something before, and I think it's worth reiterating the birds that collide with man-made objects, they're not dumb. Why should we really care, 
you know, about these birds. I mean, who cares if some birds hit a, a skyscraper? That's what some people would say. What would you say to them? Yeah, there's kind of two parts to what you what you were asking there, and that's the issue of whether these are just you know dumb birds. It's natural selection. It's uh, you know the survival of the strongest, so these birds are the losers. But really, avoiding windows and these sort of urban hazards, avoiding urban hazards is not a matter of intelligence. It is a matter of experience and learning. Even people can, if you've ever watched Funniest Home Videos, you realize that people and their pets can walk into glass windows and doorways until they become aware of where one of these uh, invisible surfaces is. And migratory birds that, that we are finding are living in tropical areas and northern forests and traveling a path that they followed for years in which, uh, in, a, in a blink of an eye uh, of, of their particular evolution, uh, a host of, of building hazards have sprung up. So these birds can't adapt fast enough to a- avoid these, these sort of hazards. So it is a question of them not having the opportunity to learn, which makes the, the tragedy of it even worse because in nature, when you're talking natural selection, it is the weakest bird that, that ends up not surviving into the next year. It's the bird that couldn't feed very well or couldn't fly or wasn't the strongest bird or couldn't raise young very well. Uh, those birds do get eliminated, and it's natural for populations to lose members. But birds that hit the windows in downtown Chicago are often the strongest birds. The birds that hit downtown this spring will be ones that were the ones that flew all the way from South America. They made it through a uh, lack of food and strong winds and and terrible weather and they are the best of the entire flock of birds that started off in the early spring from central and south america and they almost made it to their breeding grounds in the northern united states and then they hit a window so glass is indiscriminate it will take out the best members of a species and that is not natural selection so we should be concerned because besides the fact that we we owe these birds a better fate i think a bird that's doing this miraculous migration deserves to have something better happen to it than than end up on a city sidewalk and if we can make things better and we should but these birds are a vital part of a healthy environment that we rely on and the birds can't form advocacy groups uh, to fix or understand these problems and we are their stewards so i think we should care well, now, I was surprised. I would have thought that, you know, if a bird was flying along and hit a skyscraper and then fell hundreds of feet to the ground, that would probably be dead. But after reading on your website that quite a few of them survived that, and the real real danger comes from uh, either dying of hypothermia while they're unconscious or even being run over by a car or, or eaten by a urban predator like a, a rat or a cat. So when you find a bird, what's the process? for taking care of it? Well, when we're downtown in the mornings, we get out there before sunrise because these birds are starting to land just as the sun is coming up and we want to be the first people on the scene to respond because, as you said, uh, once these birds are injured on the ground, they're going to get stepped on or swept up or run over. So we're there as as soon as there's visible light because we want to get ahead of predators. Uh, Downtown Chicago has uh, flocks of gulls and crows, larger birds that are resident birds that have learned that there are uh, vulnerable uh, prey on the ground, uh, these migratory birds that they're going after. So we want to get there ahead of time. So when we see a bird that's injured, our first thing is to identify it, find it in the midst of the huge sidewalk building uh, landscape that you experience in a downtown area. We approach it carefully because even though they're hurt, these birds are alert and trying to do what they can to hopefully protect themselves because their instinct is not to let us rescue them, but to try to get away even if they're injured. So we, we approach them carefully, get them safely contained. Uh, we use 
bird nets to cover them up, get them easily picked up. And we put them into uh, closed paper bags. It's a paper bag that has a little paper towel on the bottom and for them to sit on, and we uh, close the paper bag up and clip it shut. We don't need to put air holes or anything in because there's things that are paper bags are not uh, airtight. So the birds are dark, protected, and given a quiet place to... Uh, recover, be away from additional hazards and, and human contact so that they can you know, have that chance to do what largely is a recuperation process. We hope they, they'll kind of go through on their own almost. Well, that's interesting, just a little paper bag. Now, what if you find one that needs more help? Perhaps maybe uh, a leg is broken or, or, or it seems to be impaired. Do you, uh, is there a place you take it or what do you do with a bird like that? All the birds we pick up, uh, we take to a licensed rehabilitation center. We work uh, primarily with Willowbrook Wildlife Center here in the Chicago area, and we take them over 3,000 birds a year. Uh, they go there, and some of the ones that have been stunned and, and recuperated, by the time they get there, once they're put in one by one in a, a flight testing cage, they look as though they can fly and sit and don't have any apparent injuries. Those birds can be given a a bill of health and uh, released in a safer place away from buildings in the urban area in, in a forest preserve where they can spend a little more time foraging, getting some food, storing up uh, to continue on with their migration. But but there are those that have uh, additional injuries. They, they can have uh, an injury to their eyes, which often are one of the things that hit the window when they fly into it, or their beak or their legs. They can have other fractures that they'll stay at the wildlife center to be treated for with certainly pain management as well as uh, whatever surgeries, supportive care that they need to hopefully come around and, and also be released back into the wild. Oh, that's great. So it's not a death sentence necessarily, if, particularly if you and your volunteers find them in time. It is. It's all about finding them in time. So, and some injuries are too severe for uh, for any bird to, to survive from. Uh, most of them are suffering from head trauma. It's as if you and I were to go through our windshield at 30 miles an hour. Uh, their brain is swelling. They, they, have, uh, they could have internal bleeding and injuries. And some of those things, there isn't uh, a lot that you can do, but you can certainly give them that supportive care. You can do x-rays and find out if anything is, is broken and fractured that needs help. And uh, at least the vast majority of the birds that we rescue that are injured are released for a second chance in the wild. 70% of, of, or more of the birds that, that we find injured can go out again and, and hopefully uh, survive. Wow, 70%, that is an amazing number. You know, you mentioned before that probably anyone who lives in a house uh, has had a bird fly into their house. Or If I find a bird that's flown into a window of my house, what can I do for it? And then what can I do to reduce other birds colliding with the windows in my house? Well, we usually tell people if they, they see a bird at, that's hit a window at their home, if it seems like it's unconscious or pretty out of it in general, to approach it carefully and pick it up to put inside of a closed box or a paper bag like we do, a shoe box would be fine depending on the size of the bird. We tell people to keep it closed and covered for a good part of an hour to let that bird be protected quiet, dark, and you can leave the box outside if it's not inclement weather or someplace that's sheltered so it doesn't get blown over or knocked open. But then check on it to see because in an hour's time, a bird has a chance of, of coming around. When you open that lid, the bird will 
pick up and fly off, and you'll know that it, it, it made a full recovery. If you open the box and it's still laying on its side, still breathing heavily, still looking like it's in distress, closing the box up and, and at that point getting it to a local a wildlife rehabilitation center that can give it further treatment and assessment would, would be the thing to do. If the bird is very alert after it's hit the window, it, sometimes they're hurt, but they're sitting there and they're looking left and right, but they don't seem to be moving over a long period of time. Coming up to the bird, you might end up chasing it away into a, a bush where then if it's injured, you'll never find it again. So if you think the bird can sit safely in, in the spot where it's, it's incapacitated, you can also just keep an eye on it and see if in a matter of time it does fly off. If it seems to decline or not improve, then going out and doing the same process of containing it, maybe putting a small towel over it to pin it down and then put it into a box or a bag where it'll stay covered and can then go for further treatment is is generally what we, you know, recommend people do. And that's only you know, leaving the bird out there is only if you don't have pets that are going to run after it or something you think that's going to disturb it such that it doesn't have that time to recuperate. But hopefully some birds giving the, that protection are going to be able to fly off and, and be, be all right after they have that time. You know, I've always thought of uh, skyscrapers, green buildings, commercial buildings as being energy efficient or something like that. Now, does being uh, bird collision proof, is, is there such a thing? Is that part of being a green building and uh, can architects design skyscrapers so fewer birds collide into them? Well, that's our hope. I mean, we'd like to go to the point where we don't have to pick up as many birds downtown and that we're making designs that are bird-friendly. It's just a given. Currently, or initially, the leadership in energy and environmental design, which is LEAD, uh, was giving awards for being environmental because you recycled energy or you used less energy. And those buildings were made with a huge amount of glass, which subsequently made them the most dangerous for birds. So although they were using natural lighting and they were saving on energy bills uh, with with their design, they were actually creating an even bigger hazard uh, for birds, which made them, in, in our mind, less environmentally friendly. So there is now an ex- additional credit that buildings can get for their lead status if they add a bird safety as a consideration to their design. It's something that it requires original design, innovative products that can be incorporated, but a building can very much be attractive using these features. It doesn't have to be a, a building covered in a brown paper bag to, and, and ugly. It can be uh, using glass in an angled fashion. Birds don't see reflections if the glass is angled. It can be using frosted or fritted glass that allows light in but gives an opaque appearance to birds, making them think that there's a solid surface there as opposed to an invisible area. Using shades, screens, uh, window films can all make glass areas safe. And you would ask what people can do at their homes for buildings. We certainly want to emphasize that even the two things that you're going for is stopping transparency and stopping reflections. Because glass has two dangerous aspects to it. It has uh, the clear invisible part to it, which causes birds to go toward lighted areas or go through an area to get inside. And then the outside surface of glass can be reflective and shiny, and birds will see their own reflection or trees. So if, uh, I would encourage people to go to our webpage, which is www.birdmonitors.net, and go to our Bird Safe Buildings link, which gives you lists of products and examples of ways to prevent collisions. The most effective things that we find are are something that can go on the outside of the glass, whether it be an external screen or a window film, such as Kaleidoscape. Those products 
sit on the outside and they stop the reflections and they stop uh, birds getting toward a transparent area that they might strike. That's great advice. And uh, I'm sure I hope uh, listeners go to the website. And I have a question, Annette, that I ask all of my guests. And that is, with so much human misery in the world, how can you justify spending time, money, and resources advocating for birds or animals in general? Well, we think of it that in the end, when we're helping birds, we are not just helping the birds. Granted, on an individual basis, each bird is being helped, but we're helping maintain a healthy balance of our world that birds are a vital part of. And ultimately, that does help humans because our environment and our health would definitely suffer greatly if the many declining bird species that are striking windows and taking losses this way were to disappear. So we're talking about protecting and making it a healthy environment for humans. And besides the health aspects, birds can be a major part of our quality of life, of the mental health of people, of why people live in a particular area, why people spend money to travel, and all those things are economic impacts on our society. So besides the fact that these birds deserve a better fate and we are their stewards, we are ultimately helping ourselves and making a better world for for the humans by protecting them. You know, uh, that's been a very big benefit. We've just recently moved from the Chicago area down to eastern Tennessee, and uh, there's quite a few woods around us and woodland birds, and as you would expect, particularly in the winter, a lot of species that I'm not familiar with in Chicago, and it's just so great to go out, and even on a February morning, just to hear them all, and, you know, birds I've never heard before, and I have feeders up, and I see all these ground birds running around picking up seeds, and, you know, it really really helps make my day, and so there's a lot to what you say. Now, you mentioned your website. Can you uh, give us the address for your website again on that? Yes, it's birdmonitors.net. It's a place you can connect for more information, find out more about uh, some of the things we talked about today. It gives information on how you might be able to uh, give a donation to support our work. We have operations, projects. We need to create educational materials. We have travel costs, and heck, we even have parking expenses for all the places that we have to go to help birds. So any donations are greatly appreciated to help us continue on our work, and we always need volunteers. We need extra people, if you're in the Chicago area, to help us run our, our rescue hotline, to be out there at, in the morning hours looking for birds, to be able to transport birds to the places they need to get help as well as to help educate the public because we want this to be a a growing effort that spreads to making conditions better for birds. We're all about finding the prevention of these hazards uh, so that uh, we we don't even have to find injured birds and it's a safer safer place for them and and a better world for us. Now, I have another question in is if I don't live in Chicago, is there a way I can find out or learn if there's an organization similar to yours in my town? Well, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of groups that are doing similar work to ours out there, but some of the major cities that are certainly in flyways where a lot of migratory birds are going have groups organized to do various levels of bird rescue. Uh, you can certainly do a search on the computer for your city or area and to see what kind of bird rescue uh, work is being done. The American Bird Conservancy has a network of uh, of information about who's out there and protecting help to birds, and they're at abcbirds.org. Another initiative that you can get involved in if you can't directly be uh, working with 
the bird rescue aspect of it is just a light reduction initiative. Anybody in, in their town, community, regional area could promote through uh, ordinances reduction in nighttime lighting. Re- reducing nighttime lighting is better for human health. It is uh, less attraction, uh, fatal attraction for birds. And uh, people have been able to make their lives better and, and, and less of a hazard for birds by getting a light reduction ordinances in their community. The National Audubon Society has ideas and blueprints for how to work on that, that sort of uh, initiative in, in, in your community. And it's something that will help the humans and the birds. Well, that's good information to know. And um, could they email you or your organization if they wanted some more ideas how to get started uh, in their own city? Certainly. Certainly. Our contact information is on our webpage. And if there's questions or any direction that we can point you towards, if you're looking to make things better for the the birds in, in your area, we'd be happy to talk to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, Annette, we've run out of time, and I really want to thank you so much for being with us today. Your information, I think, is is, a lot of people probably didn't realize just how destructive buildings and human structures are to uh, birds, both migrating and then ones in our own backyard who are just trying to get a meal. Exactly. It's an important issue, and I really appreciate you bringing it up as a topic for people to learn about and uh, you know, be aware of, because some of the solutions are very simple. Everything from just you know, dropping a shade in your, in, in your window to stop it from being transparent to uh, reducing light emissions can be uh, a, a big help to birds and keep them part of our, of our lives. Well, that's great. And Max A. Pooch also thanks you and your volunteers for all the work you do and gives you five big tail-wagging wolves for sharing with us some of, of the information you did and how to help. And I want to thank Mark Winter, executive producer and co-founder of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors who make this program possible. And please join us for each and every episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, and be sure to tell your friends about us. Remember, until we meet again, when you do a good thing for animals, you help to make the world a better place. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.